This video is part of an audiobook series featuring Principles, Life and Work, written by Ray Dalio in 2017. For more audiobooks, please visit my YouTube channel, find me on Spotify, or check out my website for downloads. Chapter 11. Perceive and Don't Tolerate Problems On your way to your goals, you will inevitably encounter problems. To be successful, you must perceive and not tolerate them. Problems are like coal thrown into a locomotive engine because burning them up, inventing and implementing solutions for them, propels us forward. Every problem you find is an opportunity to improve your machine. Identifying and not tolerating problems is one of the most important and disliked things people can do. For a lot of people, identifying problems is difficult to do. Most people would rather celebrate all the things that are going well while sweeping problems under the rug. These people have their priorities exactly backward, and there is little that can be more harmful to an organization. Don't undermine your progress in pursuit of a pat on the back. Celebrate finding out what is not going well so you can make it go better. Thinking about problems that are difficult to solve may make you anxious, but not thinking about them and therefore not dealing with them should make you even more anxious. Having this kind of anxiety about what can go wrong is extremely useful. It is what drives one to develop systems and metrics for monitoring the outcomes your machine is producing and motivates those who manage well to constantly taste test the outputs of the system and to look for problems in its nooks and crannies. Having that constant worry and doing the double checking is important to maintaining quality control. Making sure that little problems don't exist is important because if they're allowed to continue, they will grow into big problems. To convey the point, I will tell you about a case in which we initially failed to maintain excellence, then perceived the problem, got at the root causes, designed changes, and pushed those changes through to perceive, or sorry, produce excellent results. When I started Bridgewater, I was responsible for everything. I made the company's investment decisions and its management decisions, and then I built the organization to support me and eventually to carry on excellently without me. As Bridgewater grew, the standard I set was uncompromising and straightforward. The analysis we provide to clients should always be of the same quality it would be if I did it myself. That's because when clients ask what we think, they aren't just asking what anyone thinks. They want to know what I and the other CIOs who are in charge of our investments are thinking. To achieve that goal, Bridgewater's client service department either handles the questions they get from clients themselves or passes them on to people with various levels of expertise who are assigned to answer questions based on their level of difficulty. The client advisor, who is a knowledgeable professional designed to be the interface between Bridgewater and the client, has to understand the questions well enough to know who they should be routed to, and they need to review the answers before they go back to the client to ensure they are excellent. To be certain that always happens, I created a checks and balances system in which some of our best investment thinkers both draft memos to clients themselves and quality control their colleagues' work grading it to provide traceable metrics that can be followed to monitor how well things are going and make changes as needed. In 2011, as a part of my management transition, I handed the oversight of this process to others. And several months later, one of the people in the client service department began noticing problems. It started with one memo, which two senior investment advisors noticed had gone out the door to a client, even though it contained errors. Though these were minor errors, they were important errors to me. 
With my prodding, the new management team began investigating other memos and discovered that this poorly prepared memo wasn't just a one-off. It was symptomatic of a more widespread breakdown in the quality control machine. Worse still, the investigation revealed the responsible parties were failing to perceive and diagnose these problems. And most worrisome, it wasn't clear that without my pushing, anyone else would have taken the time to investigate. This initial failure to perceive and not tolerate problems did not happen for lack of caring. It happened because most of the people in the process paid more attention to getting the tasks done than assessing whether the goals were being achieved. They had become more like the rubber stampers than craftsmen, while the top people who were supposed to taste the soup to make sure it was excellent were focused on other things. Discovering this was disappointing to all of us because it showed that the high standards that for so long had been the reasons for our success were slipping. Facing this reality was painful, but ultimately healthy. The existence of a problem like this one, whether from a flaw in the design of one's machine or from one's own or others' inabilities, is not shameful. Acknowledging a weakness isn't the same thing for accepting it. It's a necessary first step toward overcoming it. The pain one feels, whether from shame and embarrassment or frustration at one's ability or inability to get the better of it, it is like the pain one feels at getting flabby that motivates one to go to the gym. As you'll see in the following chapters, facing this problem led to important innovations and improvements. The following principles flesh out how to perceive and not tolerate the problems that come your way. 11.1. If you're not worried, you need to worry. And if you're worried, you don't need to worry. That's because worrying about what can go wrong will protect you. And not worrying about what will go wrong will leave you exposed. Hmm. 11.2. Design and oversee a machine to perceive whether things are good enough or not good enough. Or do it yourself. This is usually done by having the right people. People who will probe, who can't stand inferior work or products, and who can synthesize well. And by having good metrics. A. Assign people the job of perceiving problems. Give them time to investigate and make sure that they have independent reporting lines so they can convey problems without any fear of recrimination. Without these things in place, you can't rely on people raising all the problems you need to hear about. B. Watch out for the frog in the boiling water syndrome. Apparently, if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water, it will jump out immediately. But if you put it in room temperature water and gradually bring it to the boil, it will stay in the pot until it dies. Whether or not that's true of frogs, I see something similar happen to managers all the time. People have a strong tendency to slowly get used to unacceptable things that would shock them if they saw them with fresh eyes. C. Beware of groupthink. The fact that no one seems concerned doesn't mean nothing is wrong. If you see something that seems unacceptable to you, don't assume that the fact that others also know about it and aren't screaming means it's not a problem. This is an easy trap to fall into, and a deadly one. Whenever you see badness, point it out to the responsible party and hold them accountable for doing something about it. Never stop saying, this meal stinks. Hmm. D. To perceive problems, compare how the outcomes are lining up with your goals. This means comparing the outcomes that the machine is producing to your visualization of the outcomes you expected so that you can note any deviations. E. Taste the soup. Think of yourself as a chef 
and taste the soup before it goes out to the customers. Is it too salty or too bland? Managers need to do that too, or have someone in their machine do it for them for every outcome they're responsible for. People who are delegated this task are called taste testers. F. Have as many eyes looking for problems as possible. Encourage people to bring problems to you. If everyone in your area feels responsible for the area's well-being and no one is afraid to speak up, you will learn about problems when they are still easy to fix and haven't caused serious damage. Stay in sync with the people who are the closest to the most important functions. G. Pork. It's your responsibility to make sure communications from your people flow freely, so encourage it by giving them plenty of opportunities to speak up. Don't just expect them to provide you with regular and honest feedback. Explicitly ask for it. H. Realize that the people closest to certain jobs probably know them the best. At the very least, they have perspectives you need to understand, so make sure you see things through their eyes. 11.3. Be very specific about problems. Do not start with generalizations. For example, don't say, Client advisors aren't communicating well with the analysts. Be specific. Name which client advisors aren't doing this well and in what ways. Start with the specifics and then observe patterns. A. Avoid the anonymous we and they because they mask personal responsibility. Things don't just happen by themselves. They happen because specific people did or didn't do specific things. Don't undermine personal accountability with vagueness. Instead of the passive generalization or the royal we, attribute specific actions to specific people, like Harry didn't handle this well. Also avoid things like saying we should or we are and so on. Since individuals are the most important building blocks of any organization, and since individuals are responsible for the way things are done, mistakes must be connected to those individuals by name. Someone created the procedure that went wrong or made the faulty decision. Glossing over that can only slow progress toward improvement. In 11.4, don't be afraid to fix the difficult things. In some cases, people accept unacceptable problems because they are perceived as too difficult to fix. Yet, fixing unacceptable unacceptable problems is a lot easier than not fixing them because not fixing them will lead you to more stress, more work, and chronic bad outcomes that could get you fired. So, remember one of the first principles of management. You need to look at the feedback you're getting on your machine and either fix your problems or escalate them, if need be, over and over again. There is no easier alternative than bringing problems to the surface and putting them in the hands of good problem solvers. A. Understand that problems with good planned solutions in place are completely different from those without such solutions. Unidentified problems are the worst. Identified problems without planned solutions are better but worse for morale. Identified problems with a good planned solution are better still. And solved problems are best. It's really important to know which category a problem belongs to. The metrics you use to track the progress of your solution should be so clear and intuitive that they are obvious extensions of the plan. B. Think of the problems you perceive in a machine-like way. There are three steps to doing so. First, note the problem. Then, determine who the responsible parties to raise it to are. And finally, decide when the right time to discuss it is. In other words, what, who, and when. 
Then you follow through.